0: Welcome to Everyday Driver, where cars are more than just transportation. They're
1: freedom, a common ground, a way to grow, and can even make life better. We're here to help everyone find a car they love. And discover all the ways they connect us. I'm Paul.
0: I'm Todd. And this is The Car Debate.
1: Well, I inadvertently channeled Britney Spears on one of our new videos. It is the yes. AMG GLE 63 S at the end. You're going to have to watch it to find out mm-hmm. what <clears throat> I, I just kind of talked my way there. I sort of talked myself into a corner. But this
0: is what we have. What fun we have with the test drives <laughs> is that we just start and we have our talking points and we each. Here's the other thing. We do it kind of like this podcast in that we don't share our talking points with the other person. Right. right. Which is why we sometimes end up at two people fighting each other to get a word in edgewise, which is also what we do in this podcast. <laughs> so it works out. right. but, right. but. It's amazing some of the weird places. We've had Dr. Seuss references. This one has a Britney Spears reference. There's Ooh. been cosplay. There's been cosplay discussion. Mm. There's a lot of weird things that happen it on the test just drive. just happens. Yes, we're just talking along. We wind up someplace really strange, and in this place, Paul starts singing pop music and changing the lyrics. Well, so, it you gotta, that, yeah, it's, that it's pretty fit, great. Those
1: little things that just trigger a mm-hmm. memory, and you just like, oh, yeah, and you start singing the song, and it happens to us all the time. <laughs> and <laughs> then we all hate each other because well now that song is stuck in your head and so here let yes. me change it with a worse song
0: the, the amount of lyrics that, that, that I know to songs I never liked never yeah. ceases to amaze me until somebody on set actually Edgar who shoots with us and edits for us he's, he's good at great it. at it yeah. he will drop some random bomb in the middle of a shoot day and now you're screwed the rest of the day. All you have are those lyrics. <laughs> Until so you guys it. drag
1: me to a barbecue restaurant and play country music.
0: Well, that's a whole special thing yeah. that we do just for you. So that happens as well. There's a lot going on as always here. We, we actually dropped an old TV episode. That was the, the Blue Cars episode. A good sports sedan episode on the original channel. And then again on the test drive was the GLE. Consistent stuff happening every single Thursday on the test drive channel. Sometimes Tuesdays as well. But we have earmarked every Thursday and about every other Thursday on the original channel. And if you haven't noticed... Season 8 of television is out on Amazon, and it also is still playing on Motor Trend Channel this, this weekend. In fact, tomorrow, Happy Friday, is the Dream Drive episode with the Daytona and the 356.
1: I've always sort of wondered about date, you know, Dream Drive or your dream car. Mm-hmm. When you're dreaming, you're asleep. I well, want to be driving. You're, you're overthinking. Kind you're overthinking. Over- been funny to me. But nevertheless, these two cars are indeed aspirational dream cars. Totally. They are the actual Haggerty owned type sixty five mm-hmm. Daytona Shelby Daytona coupe. Yep. Built by Factory Five. And another vintage speedster built Porsche three fifty six replica. Mm-hmm. With the headspace being both of these cars, the real ones, are very costly Mm-hmm. And you might not have even seen a real version of them, let alone drive them. So, what is the driving difference between the real thing and these replicas? Yeah, are they even worth it? It was and really what's fun. The validity
0: of doing so, and we're on Pacific Coast Highway, which you could there drive in a broken down RV, and it would be nice to look
1: at. That's true, but it's not a broken
0: down RV, so it works out well.
1: That's true. So, massive thanks to our TV sponsors, Haggerty, Covercraft. Griot's Garage and Auto Tempest. You can use the code E Driver with Griot's Garage, Mm -hmm. which gets you 15% off, and Covercraft every day 21.
0: I have actually been liking my Covercraft car cover a lot. I've had crazy winds as I get at my house, and I've had it on the Z4, and it's done very well. We've also had random snowstorms. We're getting that part of of spring now where it's like 60 degrees, 25 and snowing. It's doing that, (laughs) so that, that Covercraft cover is very cool.
1: Our friends at Griot's Garage have got a new line of ceramic products to make your car care easier and more satisfying than ever. Start with the new ceramic wash and coat, an ultra-slick formula that can be used with either the bucket wash method, which I like, or a foaming sprayer, which I also like, or a cannon, which I also like. We actually take Griot's
0: Speed Shine with us on every single shoot. It's the ultimate for quick detailing, and it now has ceramic protection as well. Ceramic Speed Shine maintains a slippery gloss finish in between your main washing and protection days. And they even have ceramic trim wipes for long-lasting protection on
1: plastic trim. Try any of these products or use them as your new wash routine. They are 100% guaranteed and all their liquid products are made in the USA. Don't forget to use the code EDRIVER when you order at griotsgarage.com. Our audience gets 15% off liquids and 10% off everything else. That's G-R-I-O-T-S. Enjoy the finest quality car care products you can buy at dot A couple of interesting debates have come to our email lately, and we thought we'd cover them. First of all, from John G., who was writing with the question, is there such a thing as a front-wheel drive enthusiast? Mm-hmm. Going to cover that.
0: It's almost a topic Tuesday, but it's a very fun discussion. Yeah.
1: And then we've also got a very interesting story from a person who gave us only their alias, Mm -hmm. only a fake name (laughs) named Luna, writing, should you keep a car that is failing you Mm -hmm. with a lengthy story involving Jaguar? Yes. So we've got to talk about that.
0: And they're a person with Jaguar Mm -hmm. history. History and employment. Exactly. So yes. it's not like th- th- this gets entangled, which is why we have a pseudonym, which is very interesting.
1: Starting off with John G's email here. The two questions up front are, first of all, is there such a thing as a front-wheel drive enthusiast? Mm-hmm. Are there people who truly value and enjoy the front-wheel drive driving experience, or is front-wheel drive just a concession? And if there are front-wheel drive driving enthusiasts, what about driving a front-wheel drive car is rewarding? Mm. Second question here, well, topic of question here, is what rear-wheel drive could John have driven between 1990 and 2010 that got good gas mileage, inexpensive, and was generally reliable? Mm-hmm. He just recently watched an episode of Season 7 on Prime. He was looking forward to it because it features a car that he has owned for almost a year and a half. He's loving it to this day just as much as when he t- test drove it. Mm-hmm. It's the Hyundai Veloster N. We've covered this car Quite a bit. We like it a lot. It's episode one of
0: season seven. It's called Daily Fun. It's that Veloster N. This is very, very pertinent to that episode. And the current uh, Toyota 86. And we discuss similar price, similar capabilities, go about it very differently. One is front-wheel drive and hair-on-fire turbo, and the other is not rear-wheel drive. But it's not front-wheel drive. It's rear-wheel drive and has incredible handling.
1: And they're quite different.
0: But you really could. And and you may have been the most confused you've ever been in the conclusion of that episode.
1: They're both so good Mm -hmm. and the dynamics come down to what you prefer, Yeah, but it also comes down to the road you're on and the given day and the weather and the tires and the way you use the car. All of those
0: things are factors. They really (laughs) overlap a lot. So it was a very fun piece and it really spoke to John because he's driven the 86 Mm -hmm. and he kind of went, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He wasn't a huge fan. Now, he's also a big guy and he likes having access to the back seats. This is an interesting discussion because the back seats have been discussed and lost in the vloster Inn because of the three doors. Right. That you only have access on the curb side, okay, and the driver has a little bit larger door. And John is specifically bringing up the point that that is perfect storm for him because he's a big guy right. and he likes right. the extra large door as if it were a two door coupe for him to get in and out. But for back seat access, he is thrilled to have an actual door versus reaching through the back seats as you would in something like an 86. So he feels like it's the perfect car for him. Plus, he has um, eclectic ownership <laughs> history, but it's it lengthy. is overwhelmingly front wheel drive.
1: Well, he says that. He's always driven front wheel drive cars, aside from his first legal car, a 1980 Buick Regal. Every single one has been front wheel mm-hmm. drive. And he says the cars he's owned have nearly always been entry-level and manual transmission and lightweight that people view as just a piece of junk. Yeah. But he has so much fun driving them. This list includes a 1960 Ford Anglia, the aforementioned Buick Regal, multiple Ford Festivas. Three Ford Festivas. I, I don't. I, don't, I can't remember the last
0: person that time. I knew that had a Ford Festiva. <laughs> He's had three.
1: When was the last time you heard Toyota Tercel? It's been a while. Toyota Echo from 2001. He's had Ford Escort wagons, a Hyundai Accent, a Mazda Protégé 5, a Geo Prism.
0: Yeah, I knew somebody in L.A. with one of those. Couldn't believe it was running.
1: John, do you realize that the Fremont factory in California used to be the Geo factory? That's where Geos Mm -hmm. were built until it became Tesla. Honda Fit from 2007, a Jeep Patriot, and now the 2019 Hyundai Veloster N six-speed manual base non-performance pack. Okay. He says he's got a lot of stories behind all of his cars, but the key factor has been to get the cheapest, lightest, most miles per gallon car that was reliable and could be relied on to drive all year long. Mm-hmm. Front-wheel drive has worked best for him. And he says it can be argued that a rear-wheel drive car can drive in the snow and ice, which we've proven multiple yeah, times. We're doing it currently, That's what yeah. the cheap sport, sports car challenge is all about. But what rear-wheel drive car would he have gotten and would he have wanted – well, the, wanted the, would he have wanted the added stress of navigating winter in one? I don't look at it as stress. I don't
0: think it is either. It's
1: just fun to have a low-slung, yeah. lightweight sports car going around all these pickup trucks with your low center of gravity yeah. and with the right tires – it doesn't matter. It's actually better to have traction control off knowing that you can correct a slide far more easily in your rear-wheel drive little mm-hmm. sports car. Mm-hmm. It, it's actually kind of confidence-inspiring in a weird way. Well, I had that uh, FRS
0: rear-wheel drive, that I drove year-round. Yep. Actually, I remember I had the Sabaru.
1: You had the Subaru all-wheel then drive there, of Then there was
0: the FRS, which was rear-wheel drive. Then there was the Mini. You went which right was to the Mini, drive. different platform. And the Mini, I've talked about it many times. As a result, the Mini was incredibly fun. It's a very fun front-wheel yeah. drive. I would argue because it was a very early Mini, uh, early of the resurgence, one of the more front, fun front-wheel drive cars of the last twenty years, way up there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I drove it in the winter as well. Yeah. yeah. There was never a time where the Mini felt like the better winter car than the FRS. They yeah, different sure. dynamics were different, but there was never a time when I was in the mini. I was like, you know, this is just better than the FRS. They're just right. very different platforms. The FRS was fantastic in the snow, yeah. and I'm a guy that we've driven all kinds of stuff, and I'm I'm going to come back to the mini a couple times. But ultimately, the reason I didn't keep the mini longer, of course, we raffled it off, and that was cool as well. But I realized. That I would rather just own rear-wheel drive or all-wheel drive. That the front-wheel drive, I knew how to navigate it. I just didn't find it
1: as fun. Mm-hmm. Here's John with the opposite situation. And, John, what it comes down to, and that episode is all about, is your preference, but that can be influenced by the car. The Veloster mm-hmm. N is so good. It's fantastic. It makes you rethink things. Mm-hmm. I agree. You think, well, I love rear-wheel drive, but then there's this thing. Mm-hmm. How fun is this? ST STs in the same category. Yes. Yeah. It's delightful. And John says here in his email, everyone calls you know, rear-wheel drive being the ultimate setup for fun, enthusiast driving. But who says this mentions loving the feeling of being pushed out of a corner? You might not like that feeling. I think both you and I do like that feeling, especially mm-hmm. from the, the mid-engine rotation kind of feeling. To some degree, yeah. When you set yeah. up a corner right yeah. and you're managing, managing that weight right behind you with rear-wheel drive, I think both you and I like that feeling better, even though – I do acknowledge there's so many front-wheel-drive cars. John, I came up with a long list of front-wheel-drive cars that everybody's going to go, oh, yeah, Mm -hmm. I forgot about that. Therefore, proving that you are correct, and there's many car companies that are front-wheel-drive enthusiast car companies.
0: Yes, yes, but front-wheel-drive is a thing that is done, let's be honest, for um, simplicity, more than anything else, and then you take a good front-wheel drive chassis like the Ford Fiesta of all things, and you turn it into a rocket ship because it is a solid setup. The minis are the same way. It's a solid front-wheel drive setup that we can now make an unbelievable performance car. The Honda Civic Type R is the same kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It's solid in base form to John's point, and then you can take that front-wheel drive architecture and you make it awesome. I mean, look, there's been plenty of front-wheel drive race cars. Of course. There's there's no complete full-stop It has to be rear-wheel drive. I think, and we'll come back around other things, John, but I think the biggest thing for you here is the fact that your life experience is in front-wheel drive, and so it feels natural to you. And so anytime you step away from it, absolutely, you understand how to drive a low-power front-wheel drive car very well. Now you have a high-power front-wheel drive car, and you're in nirvana Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If your experience was more varied or if your experience of all these cars you've had, if most of those were rear-wheel drive, I kind of wonder if you'd feel differently. Front-wheel drive to you is comfort. It just feels right. The car mm-hmm. completely sure. operates exactly how you subconsciously expect. And so that feels pleasing to you as a front-wheel drive
1: enthusiast. And I think it's absolutely a thing. Yeah. And, yeah, the feeling. You love that feeling. But this list here is long enough and extensive enough that it's not just the, – the base models of all these are s- simple to build and they, they make good world cars to mm-hmm. be sold in many different mm-hmm. markets. And many of them are European because of European roads. They're sure. just yeah, more yeah. compact in European cities. So it makes sense for that. But I will submit, I don't think car companies, they couldn't – they pool, they put their money and development and R and D and resources into developing these further. They didn't have to do that. They could have put all that time and energy into developing a different car if that was truly what they thought was the case. I.e. a rear wheel drive car or a small rear wheel drive sports car. Yeah, but they I f- didn't have to go this far to put all this R and D and making it that better. Why would you make that better?
0: There is the question, the fundamental question of why make it better. Why on earth was there a Fiesta ST at all? However, making a Fiesta ST brilliant is cheaper than Ford going, let's make an 86 competitor.
1: True. But Honda did it with the Civic Type R and everybody went, that's not a real Type R. It's front wheel drive. What are you doing, Honda? You have the catalog of... Good rear-wheel drive, like the Honda S2000. Sure, 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 yeah. They, they could have done. Yeah, okay. But yet they still went forward with the Civic Type R, and they didn't even go all-wheel drive.
0: Yeah. What on earth are they That's thinking? the history of the Civic Civic Type R. It's this front-wheel drive monster, yeah.
1: We've mentioned the ST and the Focus ST. The Mark II, the 2010 Focus RS, and the RS500, that was mm. 350 horsepower going through the front wheels yeah, of the Yeah, good Focus. point. Good point, yeah aforementioned Honda Civic Type R, the Acura Integra Type R. That's a beloved car by many enthusiasts. Completely, yeah. The Fiat 500 Abarth, the Golf GTI. Mm-hmm, absolutely. It's always been front-wheel drive. And then Volkswagen decided, well, that's their platform. So they made the TCR. There's legions of GTI enthusiasts, the Scirocco R, mm-hmm. the Opel Astra GTC. And then we come to Renault, the Megane <laughs> RS-265, 275 Trophy, the RS-280, and the RS Trophy R. Mm-hmm. Are you putting all that effort into a front-wheel drive car to make it fast? What are you guys doing? But they don't have a
0: rear-wheel drive platform, and they can't start from scratch. Let's be honest. And they made it. It's and tougher they made a to do that. They made a brilliant hatchback, hot hatch uh, hatchback for sure. Yeah, but
1: I don't think that's a concession. I think they are enthusiasts because they made them Agreed. so good to drive. Agreed. I don't think it's a well. Darn it! We gotta concede. We'll just do our best here. No, oh, I think they actually were genuinely excited about it. Sure, there's an ongoing pissing match yeah. on the ring. Yeah. to build the fastest front-wheel drive. are absolutely right. Rocket ship possible right. between it, it changes between Volkswagen and Mitsubishi and Renault and Honda. They all just sort of trade.
0: <laughs> You're right. You're absolutely all year right. yeah. long
1: coming to the Leon Cupra 300 Cupra R. Peugeot is not to be ignored with the 308 GTI and the RCZ-R. That's very fun, yeah. With 270 brake horsepower. The Hyundai i30N is the same as your Veloster N mechanicals, but it's for Europe. The Mazda Speed Mazda 3.
0: Yeah. Remember that Crazy hair on
1: fire. You want to understand what torque steer is? That's your car. The Nissan Sentra SER deserves a mention here. Mm Mm-hmm. The Dodge Neon SRT4 deserves a mention. Now,
0: there's, there's a car that surprised everybody, including Dodge. They dropped this thing to be a cheap little... Remember the, the ad campaign was just, hi. They dropped yeah. this cheap little front-wheel drive thing, and it becomes such a hit. They have the interest from the general
1: populace that what if we made a hot one? And so they do. And I would say that does prove there's front-wheel-drive enthusiasts. Absolutely. Because yes. Dodge did have rear-wheel-drive, even though they like, Hellcat and everything anyway. But yeah, still. L-
0: Later, they went all rear-wheel-drive and all Hellcat motors. They certainly had a shift there, <laughs> for sure.
1: All the JCW Mini Coopers. Uh, completely. And, John, the current 2020 and newer BMW 128 Ti. Hmm, okay. Only for Europe. Yeah. The yeah, U.S., yeah. North America doesn't get it. Yeah. But still... BMW what? BMW the beloved rear wheel drive.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Front engine rear wheel drive, the perfect platform. That what are they doing? And here they are with their little hatch, their 128ti. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't sell in North America. It wouldn't. Well, but the 228
0: Grand Coupe is selling here and shouldn't. I mean, uh yeah. Is it selling?
1: So- is it selling? I, I don't know.
0: I've seen a few. I've seen a few, and I, and I shake How my head. How are the sales numbers on I, this That's car. a good question. I shake my head because I know the other things in the BMW lineup you could get for that money, and I go, <laughs>
1: really? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyway, From yeah. the same company. John, to answer your, your further question here about the two-decade swath of rear-wheel drive, inexpensive, and relatively speaking, fuel-efficient cars that you could have bought, mm-hmm. Miatas of, are,
0: of course, at the top of the list. Absolutely. I don't know how much space he needs, but a Miata all day long.
1: Yeah, for sure. The Toyota MR2. Mm-hmm. The Z32 Nissan 300ZX. Absolutely. I don't know what the fuel mileage was that. They're it's not like great. A, it's not great. I mean, it's, not, it's
0: not hatchback good stuff. It's, it's welcome to 20. Yeah. It's not
1: SUV and pickup, but no,
0: it's not. No, no, you know, so it's High teens, low 20s. How do you drive acceptable, it? Acceptable. What do you
1: right? have? Yeah. Uh, same with the Nissan 240SX. Now, mm-hmm. that's sort of the drift car everywhere. If you yes. can find a unmolested one, then... Bravo, by the way, yeah. <laughs> the Honda S2000, of course, portion 944. Four generations of the BMW 3 Series are in that 20 year swath. You're E30, right, e e E46, and the E92.
0: That's a great point. And you know what? He could get a, uh, I got to go back there, the 335 uh, IS.
1: That's always the a United good one. generation so because, good. They, because
0: they're high teens. Now, I, I admit, if you get a high mileage turbocharged BMW, you may have some maintenance coming. But, man, that's a cool car for the money.
1: And then three generations of Corvettes, C4, C5, C6.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, he doesn't say I mean, gas mileage is
1: not the best ever. Well, But,
0: but hang on. Hang on. That, that was the thing where, where GM gave those really, really high sixth or seventh gears so they can pull high 20s
1: True. in MPG. They did the uh, first to fourth force your arm. They do that to as well, thing. yes. There's which I current. hate
0: the lockout thing. But yeah. I'm talking about their Top Gear was so overdriven that the car was getting like 29 to 32 miles to the, <laughs> the gallon. <engine> like <laughs> it's it's barely, barely it's forward. barely beyond idle at they, 80 yeah. miles an hour. It's like going all right. Challenge me. Let's do something here. Yeah. But that's the amazing thing about it. I. I actually like the Corvette a lot for this because he doesn't say how inexpensive. Right. But come on. When my dad was shopping recently, he found a really, really nice guy's C five. He almost got it was thirteen grand. Thirteen thousand dollars. And of course it was some guy's nice fun car, had almost no mileage and was incredibly clean.
1: But that's not the one he bought. No, he it's not. He he
0: bought he bought a C six and I'm glad he did. he, no, he spent he down. spent twenty and he got a great one. Yeah. And his the one he got for a little over twenty was awesome. It's pristine. But my point is, C5 Corvette, to, to what you're saying, not very much, much mileage, and it's just going to run and get decent. Gear. I, I think the Corvette is maybe the forgotten car here because, to be honest, I didn't even mention it. <laughs> I actually have the Hyundai Genesis Coupe as a okay, possibility here. fair enough. I fair think enough. that would be worthwhile. Get the 3.8 motor. I don't really like the 2-liter turbo on that but because the thing you don't say is, do you need back seats? You don't really clarify. Right, right. But that does have back seats. And honestly, at this point, you don't like the 86, but at this point, the 86 has got to be mentioned, but you don't like it with a whole lot of mileage. You felt like it was kind of rattly, and yeah, I'll admit that. That car is not that great inside, mm-hmm. comparatively. I think the Genesis Coupe is better. I like that Corvette idea
1: a lot. A lot more it's than three thought it Regeneration, yeah, you're right. Within that, yeah. it's all relatively speaking, but all of these are on the table but, you know, of course, if you like front-wheel drive, you like front-wheel drive. And,
0: and I know there's people out there saying Mustang, Camaro, et cetera. They're absolutely in this thing. I, But I suspect if you're a person who's coming out of a hot hatch, those are going to feel big.
1: I agree. Yeah, I didn't mention them for that I think reason. the
0: Genesis Coupe yeah. is borderline feeling too big, honestly, which is crazy to say. But I think the Mustang Camaro variants are going to feel too large for John, who's used to a little tiny hatchback. But fundamentally, you drive a hatchback quickly differently than a rear-wheel drive car quickly. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to come to the crazy experience I had the last time we got to do our pilgrimage trip. And I have to say it publicly. Unfortunately, we don't think that's happening this year because of the ongoing just madness of COVID that's happening. So we don't think that's <laughs> happening this year. And so we're looking to even next year, 2022 for pilgrimage, because we are determined to go back as soon as we can. Side note over. Last time we were there, it rained hard the first yeah. morning we, we were there for yeah, the ring. That's right. And you and I and many others had rear wheel drive cars scheduled. <laughs> rear wheel drive cars are an extra layer of scary on the ring when it's raining. Yes, they are. RSR, our friends over there, they have a little note in the very scary uh, pre-track briefing that says, if you're in a rear-wheel drive car and it begins to rain, please come back. (laughs) (laughs) Please come back. But anyway, what was great is they took everybody that had a rear-wheel drive car scheduled for their drive, us included, and gave them all front-wheel drives
1: Yeah, or all-wheel
0: drives until the sun came out, and then all afternoon they were in the rear-wheel drives again. So what was interesting is to go out with an instructor – in a front-wheel-drive car, in the wet, on the ring. And it's the first time I've yes. ever, and you've probably done this, John, first time I've ever actually used understeer as a tool. Right, right. That was we, fascinating. That was we had fascinating. the Hyundai i30 in, and what we were doing, literally, is you would see the apex coming, and you would turn way too early. <laughs> <laughs> like, like ah. if I turn here, I'm going to... Like pre-clip the corner mm-hmm. is what mm-hmm. it felt like. You would hit, you would turn really early, and the car would start to understeer, and that would be understeering toward the apex. And then we would hit the gas
1: before the apex and unwinding before the apex because and the car is already
0: turning. The understeer is working for you. Yeah, it was the craziest thing I've ever seen. But it was first off the wet line on the ring and actually was the safest way
1: to accomplish finding grip in a front-wheel drive car in the wet. It was nuts. Yeah, fascinating. John, thanks for writing. If you're a front-wheel drive enthusiast, let us know. We're curious because we do love the rear-wheel drive enthusiast thing. But if you're front-wheel drive, I'm curious to know who else is listening. Write to us, TV at gmail.com. Or you can find us on the website everydaydriver.com and you can find both YouTube channels and you can see what the latest videos are there and you can find us in the top right corner under the about tab where it says contact button and it syndicates to the same place. When your car needs new brakes, it's a great time to upgrade for better stopping power. We're excited to partner with PowerStop Brakes for an easy way to get more performance from something you already need. PowerStop is on a mission to deliver better brakes on every vehicle in every
0: situation from daily commuting to towing to track days. These are all bolt-on, direct-fit
1: parts for better braking, no modifications required. Every PowerStop Complete Brake Kit comes with all the parts you need to upgrade your brakes, including pads, rotors, and even those little clips and fasteners. Plus, all their pads are made from a carbon fiber ceramic compound, which they've tested extensively to deliver low dust and noise-free performance. So the next time you need brakes or
0: you simply want to upgrade, visit PowerStop.com and enter your vehicle's information into their easy-to-use car finder. We even found great kits for our SUVs and our cheap sports cars. Give your everyday driver the easy and affordable performance upgrade it deserves at PowerStop.com. Luna wrote in, no idea of Luna's real name. She works for Jaguar. That's the first part of this story that I find fascinating. The person that pays the bills for Luna is Jaguar. She works on the team that is concerned about people and their lemon law cars for Jaguar Land Rover. So this means Luna's a person that understands Jaguar Land Rover cars, understands those that go bad, and is used to dealing with customers that have had issues with their Jaguar Land Rovers.
1: Luna recently took delivery of a certified pre-owned 2017 F-Type with 23,000 miles. Luna wasn't actively looking to buy one, but the build spec on this one... Caught her attention, as she's never seen one specked out this way, and Jaguar Financial gave 1.9% financing for six years. It's pretty good. All services were done sooner than recommended. The warranty history is pretty minimal, other than a faulty fuel filler neck, a noisy serpentine belt and pulley system, and battery. All three were replaced under the original owner, and the car was purchased and kept in an affluent retirement community. So, pampered.
0: Exactly, and I'll go you one further. Her background tells her the actual numbers of how the Jaguar Land Rover cars do. And the F-Type is known to be the most reliable.
1: <laughs> so we've got all of this. You can probably see where going. You, you can going tell where here.
0: this is going for sure.
1: On a recent Saturday afternoon, this is when the car was picked up. On the drive home, the SOS Limited Functionality Warning Light came on intermittently. That evening, the car threw a check engine light because it exhibited a fluctuating idle for about 30 seconds before settling back down to regular idle. It was a little chilly that evening, she says, and turned on the heated steering wheel. The wheel wasn't warming up. As it got darker and the headlights turned on, she noticed the interior ambient lighting not turning on, and also what was noticed an intermittent growling and howling noise coming from the engine. On the Sunday morning when she went into the garage, she noticed the car had not gone to sleep. On Mm -hmm. JLR cars, this is evident by the hazard flasher switch and door lock indicator staying illuminated after shutdown. That's usually caused by the battery control module on a properly functioning car. It's rectified by disconnecting and then reconnecting the battery.
0: What I love about this is Luna knows what's going on. Oh, absolutely. Has seen all of these features and can tell when something goes awry. It should be doing this. And this email goes on this way. But the problem is, so do the problems. (laughs) On Monday, dropped the car off at the dealer. They said, oh, we'll have it for 36 hours or so. Two weeks later, let me stop again two Two weeks weeks later got the car back at this point had only driven the car for about two days in more than two weeks of ownership because it had been in the shop. They replaced the steering wheel for the steering wheel heated up issue. They replaced a module that is known to be faulty. That solved the SOS thing. They reflashed the ECU to the most current uh, software that solved that problem. They even replaced a, Fa- a faulty box that was calling and a- causing the ambient lighting issue and was pretty sure that that was actually the problem with it not shutting off. And while we're in there, the entire pulley system and serpentine belt was also replaced to solve the engine growling problem. This is two <sighs> weeks of ownership, two weeks of work on the car, driven it for roughly 36 hours. <sighs>
1: On the following Wednesday... There's more. There's more. Yes, there is. Luna noticed the engine making a rattling and buzzing noise whenever the gas pedal was pressed, which is what you need to do when you drive the Mm -hmm. car. Mm -hmm. A good friend of Luna's used to be a field engineer at JLR. He listened to it and stated that it sounded like a high-pressure fuel pump and that there was a service bulletin addressing this. Wow. Throughout the week, the car began exhibiting the symptoms of not going to sleep again. Mm -hmm. By the weekend... The car began displaying the low battery, start the engine light. This, despite driving it every day. Mm-hmm. So they knew there was a parasitic dross somewhere in the electrical system.
0: <laughs> Back to the dealer we go. I'm sorry that I'm laughing. This is just, no. it's nightmare on top of nightmare. Well, the updates are m- happening times, like the next day, the day after that. It's not like well, four yes. weeks later.
1: But many times, listeners don't write to us with the, the list of issues. But I look at this as almost a PSA from Luna.
0: To some degree, yeah.
1: And I actually read just recently about Jaguar Land Rover's boss admitting that reliability problems have caused sales problems for them. Interesting. Despite them doing great work. I love their stuff. Mm -hmm. This is interesting. Well... On Monday, the car was dropped off at the dealer to address the potential high-pressure fuel pump noise, the electrical system issue, and the fuel filler neck issue.
0: For those of you following along, this is a week after she got it back.
1: Yes. Luna was not able to get gas into the car without the gas pump nozzle constantly clicking off. This is a known issue in a service bulletin. Which leads to today, Luna's on standby to get a diagnosis. The selling dealer, get this, has reached out to Luna and offered to unwind the deal... And for her to walk away from the car completely... Interesting. What dealer does this? Yeah, I agree. Although Luna is tempted, the financing and the build spec on this car make it a unicorn. Okay. She likes it a lot. It should be noted that this car has an aftermarket GPS tracker installed. It's like a LoJack, And Luna has instructed the dealer to pull it off because... She thinks this is the car the – per- the reason the car is not going to sleep and causing the parasitic draw on the electrical system, but that was on the car before the purchase. That was mm-hmm. already there. The yeah. car was running fine.
0: Every time I've had an aftermarket alarm or some sort of aftermarket tracker on a car, it's it's resulted in the car losing its mind.
1: My experience has been any time you clip a wire – and try to tap in from anywhere else except for the fuse box, you're screwed. If you try to install an aftermarket (laughs) stereo and you don't go to the fuse box with power and ground, that's usually the cause of your problems. Let's
0: hope that taking that out helps. But but we're back to the question still.
1: Yes. The factory warranty and CPO warranty is still in place for another two years. Thank God for that. Luna is torn to... should, Should she just walk away? Or... Because she's just now getting all the issues sorted because the previous owner only had the car for 21,000 miles. Mm. What happens here? What should she this do? is so hard. This is really hard. Coming back to that spec, coming back to the financing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, what dealer offers to unwind your deal? True. Dealers lose money doing this. This is not what they're in business to do.
0: But I think there's a relationship there. That we're not understanding fully. Could be. Because of of Luna's background at Jaguar. But the other thing I think is that dealer is not going to take that car
1: back and it go nowhere. They'll sell it to someone else. Of course they will. Yeah. But by then all the issues will be sorted. This is the question. But they'll recoup their money for all that warranty work by selling it again. And that's why they want the car back. Yep. For sure. Not necessarily because they want to do you solid, Luna. Mm -hmm. Because they have to recoup that warranty work somehow. And by selling it again at a higher price, probably for the same deal, Mm. they'll just make the money again that you already started down that road. Totally agree. Totally agree. Which is a bummer Mm -hmm. because when cars do this – yeah, it, the immediate response is dump it, get rid of it, move yeah, on to something else. That's how it feels for sure. But the F-Type drives so well. Mm-hmm. It's so much fun to drive. At,
0: and you've mentioned at, at, least, the financing. at least three times in your email that this is a unicorn spec. Mm-hmm. And you know these cars, it's clear. So you've found, and you don't even go into what the spec is, but you, you clarify that it is something that you've never seen and you love it. Luna, this is my actually my primary question here, and only you can answer what I'm about to say. But my question for you is, do you still like this car? And I'm actually going to say... I kind of think so. I I think so too. But I'm actually going to say, even even taking the spec out of the equation, do you like this particular car? Or, because here's the flip side, do you like it but you don't trust it? I think the trust question may be the biggest part of this. If you've decided that you don't like this car anymore and you really don't trust it, walk the deal back. Because... Even if this latest time it's in the the shop is going to fix it, you're not going to trust it and it's going to make you not enjoy it. But if you're hoping for the best, if you love it and you're hoping for the best and you want to trust it and you kind of still do because you think I'm just getting it sorted, then I think stick it out because if you stick it out, you've got double warranty here, factory Mm -hmm. warranty and CPO warranty. If you stick it out for six months or a year, yes, you can't go back to that dealer offering to get the car back from you but you could sell it.
1: True, but the money will not be recouped because you need to disclose all the stuff that's going on. You can't be a seller that says, nope, it's just fine, and then dump a dirty diaper on the next owner with all the list of stuff that's gone on and all the warranty work that's happened because that could be a major turnoff. Maybe, but... I'm speaking for me. But looking at it... The, warranty work that has happened? But looking at it the other mm. way,
0: the new owner got it and did a bunch of stuff to make the car right.
1: I suppose, but to make it right at 21,000 miles? I hear you.
0: I do understand. That's an that. issue. I
1: do understand that. Hmm. Again to this aftermarket GPS tracker. Any aftermarket stereo, something else that's electronic that's added to the car that isn't the factory wiring harness is a problem. It always has been, it always will be. Don't tap into the factory wiring harness. There's companies who do. There's companies who do it successfully. Mm -hmm. They're very high end and they have the resources and the software programming and the people to do it. It's not just a shop that put it on. (laughs) I'm talking about Shelby American. Okay. They rewire the instrument panels to put new features on, but sure. they get it right. Sure, yeah. There's other similar companies. It's not just your local hot rod shop. Well, it's the difference between they a company that does R&D
0: and a company something. that can install your stereo or alarm. And right. that's the difference. Yeah, there,
1: There's a huge difference. So I take that with a grain of salt. But anytime you mess with the factory wiring system, you're asking for it. Mm-hmm. Because everything is so connected now. You, it, it's almost... Difficult to change something out, even the stereo, because things are connected with the controls here to power the seats or do the seat heating and cooling or something else is connected that you just don't know what happened.
0: That was the funny part about owning the Volkswagen Phaeton that I had (laughs) was that there was was a general discussion on forums and on all the owners groups about don't touch it. Don't don't. Yes, don't do anything to the electrics. I agree. Because if that happens, the entire car goes down because it was so crazy wired into everything about the car. It was like, don't touch the brain. You, you'll, you'll hate yourself and you'll hate the car, yep. but, but staying with the Phaeton for a second, I knew buying that car that there was a decent chance that the shocks were going to fail. I'd had yeah, it a huh? week yeah, and the temperature dropped. It was a Florida car. It had never been in the cold. The temperature dropped and the front shocks failed.
1: It didn't really know what to do with the cold. The
0: O4s were yeah. known to have that problem the most. The fronts were the thing that was most commonly a problem. And guess what? It happened to me. I did that and a couple other things right away, and I'm not saying that car was perfect. It was far from perfect, but it was a five thousand dollar fix. It
1: has a lot of stop leak poured into the engine now. But
0: but the reality of it was, I did feel like for the first couple of months, I was just getting it to a place where it should run properly, and shocks were and shocks were expensive. But that was just okay, known issues. When I got the Z4 here, had some similar things, as did you with your Mercedes. It was mm-hmm. just getting it here and going. Oh, that's wrong. Now, you've got a 21,000-mile F-Type. That shouldn't be an issue. But there is a part of me that wonders if you are sorting things out, with one exception. Mm. And that is the fact that the prior owner replaced the battery and the serpentine belt. And since you've had it, you're having power issues, and you've replaced the serpentine belt. Again. Yeah, In 21,000 miles. Yeah. That does concern me. Yeah.
1: Mm. I'm trying to decide, Luna what percentage I am on one side or the other, because you've got the factory warranty and CPL warranty for at least another two years. That's nice and all. And that's a nice comforting, warm blanket, but it's your time of taking it to the dealer. Sure. Okay. Warranty. It's all going to be free to Not you, having a car
0: for two weeks,
1: but you, something else could go and you got to take it there and you got to have something else. And you got to drive the loaner and just deal with it. That in and of itself is a hassle. Yes. It can't be overlooked.
0: And that can make you not like the car because yeah. it's, it's inconvenienced you again. That inconvenience is
1: a big thing. Inconvenience is horrible. But you do have the warranty. And if you like the car enough, mm, I'm I'm talking myself. I'm talking you out of it. Are I'm you? talking myself that way because I'm thinking about when that warranty period is up guess what you're going to want to do immediately? Yeah. Oh, and yeah, guess yeah. how much your car is going to be worth or not worth. This is true. Worth. Yeah. And then when a, with a list of, geez I could be proven wrong. It could go one way and just I've gotten everything done to your point. Mm-hmm. I got it all mm-hmm. sorted and the car runs great and it runs for another 50,000 miles. No problem. Mm-hmm. That's or, possible.
0: This is all, but this is always the question when the stuff starts going systematically wrong, you start to ask yourself this question about, is this the beginning of a downhill slide? You've just gotten the car. You're trying to get it up to spec. I, I really think Luna, I'm going to stand on it again. I think the two questions are, do you still really love it? I think you do based on your email. And do you have any trust for it? Because if those two things are turning away from the car, even if it decides to run now, I don't think that ever comes back.
1: To me, this is only accept acceptable on a well used car. Mm. On on as car as new as this mm. is, it skeezes me out. I can see it. All these things I'm I'm cool with because yeah, old cars stuff you gotta breaks. do stuff to. Stuff breaks. Stuff needs of to be course, Sure, just yeah, do yeah. it. And if you're keeping a car for long term and that's your baby, great. Mm-hmm. But this is too new. Mm. That's it's the age of the car that's that's making me, mm, yeah. I'm not all there. Okay, so I'm 51% sell, 49% keep.
0: That's where I am. (laughs) And I think because this is what this show is, I think I might be the opposite. But it really comes down to the (laughs) thing you haven't told us, Luna, which is what's your love and trust level? If that's failing, the car's got to go. Every winter, we find ourselves tracking snow, salt, and grime into our cars. Thankfully, Covercraft has a variety of floor mats to keep you
1: winter-proof. Covercraft floor mats and cargo mats are custom-fitted to your exact car and they include the original equipment security grommets, if applicable. They're the perfect and durable way to protect your car's carpet and add style and comfort to your interior. Plus, you can choose from many color and material
0: options to complement or contrast the interior colors of your car or truck. Covercraft is sure to have what you need. They offer plush carpet, Berber carpet, even sheepskin, which is warm in the winter and cool in the summer.
1: Whatever mats you choose, remember to use the code EVERYDAY21 at checkout to receive a 10% discount and free shipping from Covercraft.com. Jumping into social media questions, guys. Thank you so much for sending all your questions. Austin Love on Facebook is asking our thoughts on Audi's return of the RS six Avant. Austin finally saw one in person in Louisville in the dark blue. It looks phenomenal. We agree. Yeah, we're we're ready to drive one, as a matter mm-hmm. of fact. We where is was, that one, yes. We knew there was one in Colorado. Uh, no, sorry, Utah, right here in Utah, because we know that recently Top Care America was shooting in Utah, mm-hmm. and they were doing a few things with uh, a few cars. Uh, Audi RS6 was included in that. I'm very curious to drive it. I'm very interested. I have read a few things about it, but Austin, to be honest, I'm, I'm kind of holding off reading anybody else's opinion of it, okay. because I know what I think of Audi. I am a fan. Yeah. But with their future tech and the weight of cars and how heavy things have gotten, despite the horsepower, I'm kind of going back and forth. So we'll see. But I'm, I'm reserving my opinion right now. But I agree, looks phenomenal. Plus, it's a wagon and it's all-wheel drive. Yes.
0: It looks amazing. It's very intriguing. I agree. We've seen them sitting still and been in them and around them, but we haven't driven one, and that's too bad. Jumping off of the last car debate, we were talking about Luna, is this question from Vehicle Nanny for me. He's asking about an update on the Cayenne. I have a a detailed update coming that I want to shoot where I just realized that we've had this car about six years now. Okay, And I want to run through like the six-year costs of it. And I haven't got them all calculated yet, but I want to run through and do like a big – we're going to still keep it for a while yet because my wife loves it. I just put Apple CarPlay in it. We really, really like it. It runs very well. But he's asking how it's holding up. Here's the interesting thing that's happened. And I'm not too surprised, but it's to the kind of stuff that Luna's dealing with about stuff starts piling up. And, and piling up's mm. too far. It hasn't been that bad, but we're at almost 140,000 miles. Okay. And let's be honest, whatever car brand you buy, I don't care what car brand it is, between 100 and 120,000 miles, there's a ton of stuff on any car that's just worn out, has to be replaced. We are finding those cropping up now. We've had a couple of weird yeah. ones. Yeah. For example, the driver's side door the handle, which I actually mentioned in my last review, the handle did stop working. It's a known issue of that cable in there stretching and one of the one of the latches going bad from use. Mm-hmm. So we had mm-hmm. to get the door panel opened up, which the, the actual place that worked Welcome on to it. to Porsche parts. The place that worked on it is the <laughs> same place that fixed your GTS. Yeah. Cascade. Yeah, right. And they know cars, and they made the comment to me in passing. They said, this is one of the most complex door cards we've ever encountered which was Sheesh. crazy. But they had to put on that new latch cable and all that kind of thing to get the driver's door working again. So that's working. Guess what? That door has probably been opened 10 to 20 times more than any door on the car. It's the driver's door. Yeah. So it wore out. Okay. <laughs> it I'm should not be too engineered surprised.
1: twice or three times as better you than would, any of the other doors. You would think. You would yeah. think.
0: And then right now we have an issue where I need to get the thermostat replaced. Guess what? That stuff gets old. Right. So it's it, we're in that place where all of a sudden in the last six months or so, I've done more little nuanced things to that car than we have in the six years of owning it. But I then I look at the mileage. I look at how we've doubled the mileage in our ownership, more than sure. doubled. We have bought it at 62,000 miles. We've got almost 140 now. It's time for stuff to be worn out.
1: Yeah, it's totally so since it's acceptable. My, totally. Since my point.
0: wife is wanting to keep it for a few more years, I'm just going, all right, let's just refix the stuff that, let's be honest, its lifespan is over.
1: Mm-hmm. Parker Singleton Asks three questions: Is the second-generation Toyota MR2 a budget first-gen Acura NSX? I suppose you could look at it like that. I think it's more the budget a lease. It's not quite an a lease, but it's more the budget a lease so. because the the, 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 NSX has, is nice. the the NSX is nicer. It's much nicer. It has more power. It's just it's so much just overall better to drive. A little bit bigger, longer wheelbase. It's got the GT car thing and the sports car thing too. Whereas the mm-hmm. MR2 is just. Not quite the GT car thing that the NSX could be, and the
0: Elise is more just like the raw sports car out of it too. It
1: is, yeah. it is. But yeah, I, I I like your thinking there. Second question is Amsoil or Valvoline? Neither for me. It is mobile One, Liqui Moly, and <laughs> FOMO Co synthetic Gun okay. for the expedition. And then finally, have we seen the prices on Chevy bolts? Parker just bought one on Tuesday for thirteen thousand one hundred dollars. No, I hadn't seen prices, and that is fantastically well bought.
0: I have seen them, and you got a great deal and you that that but here's the thing you got a great deal that somebody else could find the same kind of deal they've got yeah. cheap and that is a ton of car for thirteen grand. It is a fantastic way to get into EVs. yes bolts are they are not hanging on to their value, and they are ex- genuinely excellent that so is well the done way to that get
1: into sure. a good electric car
0: well done. Seth Kleinman says, is it better to teach a brand new driver on an automatic or a manual transmission? Hmm. He's saying this person's going to learn both eventually anyway, but what do you think is easier to learn initially? If we're talking about first-time driver, first-time driver lessons, automatic. For the same reason that I would put somebody in an automatic on the Nurburgring. It's one less thing to think about. Okay. I, but I say that because I think that teaching the manual transmission should follow very shortly after. I think it should be coming up quickly as soon as they're getting a handle on the car. But you, you want to remove distractions and issues when somebody is learning to drive. The more you can Fair, simplify right. that to the on-off switches of the process, the better. And now having to shift in the middle of just get, getting your awareness. We, I think we as people that have driven for a while, all of us listening, you forget how much your brain is taking care of when you drive, and when you start doing it for the first time, true, true. The level of awareness that your brain is handling, all the way up to the edges of your peripheral vision, you're taking stuff in, you're understanding dynamics while you're, and your your brain is focusing at two different levels. It's focusing nearsighted and farsighted simultaneously. You ever thought about that? Crazy stuff is going mm-hmm. on. If you haven't mm-hmm. driven before. All of a sudden, that responsibility blanket falls down on you on top of everybody else. I have a friend whose second son didn't like to drive because when he started driving, he suddenly felt so much responsibility that it scared him. Really? It wasn't the mechanics. He was fully capable. Sure. He just didn't like it because he didn't like the level of responsibility that he was driving a 3,500 to 4,000 pound thing now Mm. and it wigged him out. That He had to get past the responsibility thing. So I think that automatic is good to learn the fundamentals of car placement and the awareness to drive in the neighborhood and on a freeway. And as soon as you've gotten over
1: that initial hurdle, now you can introduce manual. I I like that. Just a slight, um, count, not counterpoint, that's too much, but I, I like the manual thing immediately after you learn the fundamentals of driving. That's actually what happened to me. I learned on an automatic uic of something or a chevy something but then we were into manuals immediately because mm-hmm. my dad wanted my sister and i to know manual driving yeah and you know there's a lot to think about but in the past there have been a lot of people who learned to drive with a manual transmission car sure they turned out just fine and yeah, of course i i like the idea i am not saying i am totally agreeing with you i'm just saying i do like the thought of associating driving with having to do all these things and you're just busy sure. driving sure Because that will teach from the very beginning that you shouldn't have your hand on a phone or a coffee cup or anything else. Mm -hmm. You're busy driving. That is Mm -hmm. number one on your priority list. It still infuriates me, the drivers that I see looking at their phone (laughs) and driving literally is third or fourth on their priority list while they're sitting in the driver's seat. Yeah, it's crazy. So maybe driving a manual transmission from the get-go, from the very beginning, will instill in that person that... You're busy when you're driving. This is what driving encompasses. And then, well, automatics are like, oh, the problem with that thinking is, of course, you can let your guard down when you're driving an automatic. Mm-hmm. I learned to drive manual, and so I'm. I should be busy. I should be busier. <laughs> Where's and here? I am phone? driving an automatics, and so my my attention span goes <laughs> sure, down, and my sure. you know what I mean. Yeah, so that yeah, could yeah. be a bad thing actually. But I I don't I don't mind either necessarily mm-hmm. because I want. It's my own personal vendetta, I guess, just wanting people to put driving back to number one on the priority list. Yeah. yeah. I just, ah, drive me up a wall. But Seth, it's sort of like this in uh, I can only speak for my school. When I was going to school, I noticed all the photography students were taught to develop their own film. Sure. They were required to buy cameras, film cameras Mm -hmm. and all the chemicals and take the photos and go into the dark room and develop their own photos. Yeah. Because after that, now they know the process. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter that they never do it again and they're fully digital from here mm-hmm. on out. They've got that fundamental under their belt. So that's why that manual transmission has to be introduced very, very early.
0: Mm. Cutler Collin asked a question. and I read it and thought, oh, it's a pretty simple question. Then the more I thought about it, I was like, I do have a pattern on this. This is an interesting question. His, what he says here is when you're sitting in a car and you're either hot or cold – What's the first change you make to the temperature? Is it make changing the temperature or is it changing the fan speed? Hmm. And why? If you need to be warmer or colder, what do you do? <laughs> and color, this is the thing. I read that question. I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then the more I thought about it, I was like, I'm weird. I have a process. Okay. What's your process? If I'm too hot in a car, I'll change the fan speed because the air is blowing past you, which naturally creates cooler realities. But I never change the fan speed in the winter when it's heat. I change the temperature. Okay. I leave the fan speed pretty low because I want air coming into the cabin, but I don't want it blowing into the cabin. Okay. So if it's the winter, I'll turn the heat up. If it's in the summer, I've probably already got it cranked way down anyway. And so I'm going to crank up the, the fan. That's funny. I, I never thought about it until right now. This, thanks, thought,
1: thanks Cutler. I've never really thought about it either. I guess temperature first, just because fan doesn't matter. It's just, that's just the air quantity. Let's change the temperature. LR Defendered asks, if you had to get an Overland vehicle, which would you get? I'm wondering based on your handle, why you're asking. <laughs> hmm. What a mystery. <laughs> an Earth Roamer. Oh, yeah. Naturally. Yeah, you would. You totally of course would. I would. That thing, ah, it's under my skin. It It makes me want to go do things I've never done. <laughs> Let's put it that way
0: driven by Derek on Instagram said he was just listening to podcast number 317 and we were talking about great to drive but terrible to own and we mentioned the Phaeton and the Maserati Quattroporte and he can't believe that we then went and bought them. This is part of the reason we bought We knew going in it was going to be a questionable choice. We knew going in, <sighs> and we did it anyway for you. Actually, for us too, but exactly. for you. See, we, but we got, to, we got to do the salt flats in those. That's and true. Among, among many other things that were, that were just this side of why would you do that. And we got to do them in those in luxury. I did the salt flats. Here you go. How many people can say they've driven full speed on the salt flats with the massage seat going?
1: I might be one of one. That's pretty cool. There you go. I'm still just proud that we went and did that without checking tire pressures first. <laughs> I'm really proud of us. I don't know if we should be proud. Ignoring
0: but it safety. It, it, it did happen.
1: <laughs> On Twitter, snap dizzy, uh, J is asking about the current self-driving tech and rank it, one, two, three, Tesla, Cadillac, and what is the third? I will offer up Waymo to you because at this point, I don't associate self-driving technology with the company who is offering it Mm. because self-driving tech is now available to buy. If a company doesn't have it for their car, Mm. they can certainly partner up with some supplier that offers that and integrate it into their vehicles. Mm. You see that with GM. Well, they bought a company to integrate super cruise. They sure they bought that technology
0: they bought a company called cruise. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Ford's partnering up mm-hmm. and Waymo is offering their services. I don't think at this point they're going to build their own cars anymore because they kind of realize that retrofitting 30,000 minivans or Jaguar anything's is going to be expensive. Yeah. So they're just offering the system to retrofit any car and they're offering it to a manufacturer who already has a factory. Waymo mm-hmm. doesn't have a factory. Mm-hmm. So here you go. I think that, and believe me, it was really good. I experienced level five autonomy from Waymo. It exists. It's just creepy and scary. <laughs>
0: it's just over there in a controlled environment. I would actually say the third on that list is Mercedes. Mercedes does a pretty good job with their, let's be honest, it's smart cruise control. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mercedes, Cadillac, Tesla, they're probably the leaders right now, and we can have a longer discussion about what and why, but I think that's probably the list. Indeed. Indeed.
1: Dion Dighton asks our thoughts on the Lexus introducing a naturally aspirated V8 rear wheel drive sports sedan when everybody else is going hybrid or turbocharged or both. Will it be a future collectible much like the E90 M3 is? I think Lexus is conflicted currently. I think they want to be known as the enthusiast driving company, but still offer the amount of luxury that they've banged the table on for Mm -hmm. 20, 30 years now. Yeah. Look at us. We're the luxurious cars. And they've forgotten about fun-to-drive cars, and now they're conflicted because they want that again. They want mm-hmm. the enthusiast to like them over here.
0: Well, and I think they see... And they don't have it right They now. see BMW leaving the segment, too. and That's, there's, there's that's a, a good hole. point. But the problem is it's opposite of what they've done. And they're yeah. talking about this Lexus driving signature. and want everything that you drive that is a Lexus to feel like a Lexus. And the joke that I made to you when we first found out about that is the current Lexus products all drive like a Lexus. Yeah. But what Lexus <laughs> yes. is wanting to do is make that... Equivalent to that means they are dynamic and fun to drive, which I think, but I think alienates their original core audience. So yeah. It's a very interesting place to be. It, conflicted. Is, it is to some degree the same struggle that Cadillac has had over the last 15, 20 years, where Cadillac became known to be an old person's car that you don't like driving and you just want to drive along in a couch. Right. And so they started changing their lineup to, to let's be honest, to be BMW. And they have struggled with sales ever since because you have the old guard that this doesn't feel like a Cadillac and the new guard that wants a performance stand and goes, Cadillac's making a great one, but do I want a Cadillac? I think Lexus may be on the cusp of this problem. I love that they are still making that big naturally aspirated V8. I'm astounded by it. I struggle to think that there's ever going to be a Lexus outside the LFA that would actually be a collector car.
1: The, the LC500 convertible is interesting. Uh, somebody that's, will pull that out a, with plastic that's on the seats. Maybe. That's, a, that's a good possibility. That's you're right. That's like a 25% right. maybe. Mm-hmm. But I think if Lexus introduces something with a manual transmission, we'll know for sure. <laughs> They're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> this wait. could be confirmed. Box Enthusiast, checked. Come back. No, wait. Remember us. We Wouldn't love you. Wouldn't it be
0: crazy if Lexus released – I don't think this is going to happen, by the way, but I'm just thinking out loud. Wouldn't it be crazy if Lexus released a – naturally aspirated V8 rear wheel drive sports sedan with a manual before Toyota released a Supra with one. That would be fun. That
1: the world might fall in on itself. I really think that might be the end <laughs> we've been discussing. There's a question about the 86 and that kind of involves itself in this long discussion over here. Louie
0: asked on Facebook, What's going on with the Toyota 86? We just talked about this yesterday. Yeah. The question is, have we heard any insider rumors? Why hasn't Toyota announced their second gen? Meanwhile, by the way, you've all heard Subaru is making a second gen BRZ, but we all, all of us listening know
1: that is a Toyota co-branded, co-developed product. Yes. It's crickets from Toyota. <laughs> we're, we're speculating constantly because we're in a place right now where the Nissan 400Z has come out but it's not really out. That was a Mm -hmm. pre-production and they made it very clear this is still concept. It's mostly there, but they just wanted to kind of, here it is, everybody. Please like it when it's the real thing. We
0: think this is it, question mark.
1: (laughs) And it's going to be a manual. So all Mm -hmm. of us are thinking, great, bring the car. But Toyota's going, oh, we see what you're doing. And we've speculated that a manual Supra needs to drop just prior or just after the 400Z. Mm Mm-hmm. I think it will. Pick pick something in there, but... There's industrial espionage going on right now. You know there is. Somebody at something Toyota to steal has, their thunder.
0: has the inside info <laughs> yes. to know exactly when that manual uh, Z is going to drop and the super's is going to be like,
1: oh, did we mean ma- the manual? <laughs> there it did is. Did I do that? Oops. There it is. I also wonder about the 86. And this is a business d- decision now. Yes. Because Subarus out there. Here's the new BRZ. Cool. And we're all going, tapping our toes, tapping our fingers. <laughs> When's it going to happen? Where? Where is it? Toyota, you know that these guys, put you're in a joint venture, and mm-hmm. what's going on? Is it going to be that much different? Probably not. Yeah. yeah. But what are you waiting for? What car are you corresponding this to drop alongside to steal their thunder?
0: I also think there was a insider conversation and probably... Any memos from lawyers about Subaru was going to lead on this and Toyota was going to follow. I'll say one of the things we've theorized is I think if Toyota wasn't doing one, we would have heard that. So the Agreed. fact that we Agreed. haven't heard anything tells me that Toyota is still doing a second gen. But there's an agreement. I guarantee you there is a circled date in a calendar somewhere that Toyota cannot discuss before this date to allow Subaru to be out front for whatever reason and be like,
1: Yay us! <laughs> what I like the most though is when all of you listening. Listen to our predictions from prior podcasts, and two or three years later, you pull it out and you were either dead on or were wildly wrong, (laughs) way
0: off in the weeds. Yeah,
1: and you call us on it, which I think is hilarious. So that's why we do it. We're just, of course, we're speculating, and we're happy to be wrong always. If you're going to bring a cool sports car, I'm happy
0: to be wrong for sure. yeah. Yeah,
1: but it's it's just kind of interesting. You know, what if Lexus did this? And who from Nissan, Toyota, and Lexus is listening? Because we have many suggestions for you. Thank you guys for all your questions. We really really appreciate it. Keep asking and uh, yeah, call us on it. Whether we're right, whether we're wrong, it's always funny when you do. It really is. Cheers everyone.